Thank you, Matthew. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, it's great to be with you in Bangor Parish. I'll be back in another three weeks' time, I think it is, again. And uh, what I decided to do simply was to use one of the readings that's set for today in the lectionary, and it's that reading about the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I do not know, I do not understand how you follow a passage on a screen. But I do know that the thing that was most commonly said at the New Wine Conference in Sligo was, now, if you'd like to follow it in your Bibles, turn on your phones now. So, if you've got this passage in front of you, I don't see any Bibles at all, but if you've got this passage in front of you on your phone, you might want to follow it, but you're not. I don't know. How do you, how do you learn without having the passage in front of you? It's a new thing to me, uh, but maybe, it's, maybe we've got a more attentive memory than I ever imagined. Sylvia, congratulations. Give her a round of applause. She's got a Bible. One of those old things that they used to have around the place. Do you know something? When Thomas Cranmer at the time, sorry, I could go on all morning this morning. When Thomas Cranmer, right, at the time of the Reformation, brought about that wonderful thing, the Book of Common Prayer, right? It was on the cutting edge of technology. And I always say against myself that if he was around nowadays, he would do it on PowerPoint instead. Right. So, whatever way you have of remembering it, I hope what I say will help you to remember it. But uh, I have to bring a Bible with me still. I'm an old-fashioned evangelical, but that's just sad, isn't it, for me? But uh, anyway, I was ruminating on something, and some of you might be able to give me the answer. I was ruminating on the days when I, as a kid on the shore road in Belfast, uh, used to come to Bangor with my parents. And we would go down to the bottom of Donegal Park Avenue onto the shore road, and we would get a trolley bus. Yeah, a trolley bus. And then on one occasion, and it might even be my earliest memory, because you have to tell me what the answer to this is, and you're allowed to look on Google to find out during the sermon if you wish. And then we got off at Castle Junction, and we walked to Ann Street, and we got a tram. It was the only time I was ever on a tram. So the last tram in Belfast must have been the one from Ann Street to Queen's Quay Station. The question is, when did that tram cease? Right? Well, it must be about 1954 or 55 or something like that. Uh, and then we got on the, the train at Queen's Quay Station to Bangor. And then we got off at Bangor. And in my memory, it was the 13th of July. Now, is the 13th of July still the same in Bangor? Are, they, are there still parades on the 13th of July in Bangor? Uh, and the parades were going, maybe that was why we even came. Uh, the, but the, the orange men were parading. Is the orange men who parade? The, no, no. The black men parade on the 13th of July. Goodness, I thought I knew everything there was to be known about the black, but I, the black men parade on the 13th of July. Right, that's even better in Bangor, and they were parading this year. Now, 
On one occasion, I was in a vestry of an aimless parish in this diocese, and I must have been preaching on the Ark of the Covenant because the church warden, who was in one of those organizations, which level I'm not quite sure, he started on, and in the Ark of the Covenant were this and this and this and this and this and this and that. Uh, and I thought, isn't that amazing that he knows things so well? And he was a lecturer in the black. That's how he knew. That's one of the things, apparently. Now, I'm never sure which bits are in the Bible and which aren't, but uh, I, I think they get the bits that are, but add bits that aren't sometimes. But uh, anyway, he was telling, he was able to rehearse that. I thought, what a biblically literate group we have in the Church of Ireland. They know what was in the Ark of the Covenant. Well, at least they know some of the things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was essentially a symbol and a sign, but the reality as well, of the presence of God among His people. The Ark of the Covenant was in its very essence and its origins. It was a wooden box in which the two tablets that Moses had brought down from Mount Sinai with the law on it, the Ten Commandments on it, were placed as a sign of God's presence. But if you read in Hebrews, you can't because you have in your Bibles, but I'll read it for you. If you read in Hebrews, it says this. I'll just get the main bit. It's talking about the curtains in the temple where the ark ends up. Behind the second curtain, was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And he says, of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. Now, if we hadn't that passage in Hebrews, we wouldn't actually know that. Because it would seem that Aaron's rod and the pot of manna from the desert were placed before the Ark of the Covenant, but not necessarily immediately in the Ark of the Covenant or in the, the box that, that housed the, the tablets of the law. But what I want to say to you from that is something like this, and it's really just out of my own head. It's, you can check whether this is biblically accurate, historically accurate, or whatever. But it tells me these things, and then we'll go to the main points of the sermon. It tells me these things. The presence of the Lord is experienced most powerfully and essentially in the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord endures forever. It never ceases. And I imagine that every person sitting in this church today, like me, has had moments of knowing the presence of God through the preaching, the reading, the study of the Word of God, where you have said, yes, God is here. This is absolutely real. This is central to my life, and this is what it's all about. Amen? That was very Amen? Amen? Right, okay. 
But then there are these other two things that I just want to ruminate on for a minute before I go to the main point of the sermon. There's the pot with the manna. Now, the Lord said the manna wasn't going to last except on the Sabbath day for an extra day, so I don't know what the manna was like inside the pot, and probably nobody's ever opened it to see, but there was the pot with the manna. Now, what is that a sign of in relation to the presence of God? It's a sign of God providing for the needs of His people, guiding His people, being with His people in the difficult times, and it's almost sacramental. When we meet at the Lord's table, in a sense, we hold out our hands for the manna, for the bread for today. And when we meet at the Lord's table, I want to say this quite strongly, even though it's only a passing thing, we do not just meet around a symbol. We do not just meet to remember something that happened 2,000 years ago. We meet to feast on the living God who is present among His people in Jesus Christ in the ways in which He has promised to be present. We know the presence of God in our hearts and in our lives in the manna. And then there's Aaron's rod. Well, there was an argument at one stage uh, in a time of a rebellion among God's people about who were to be the priests. And the different tribes had their rods, but the one that budded was Aaron's, or Aaron, as we say in Northern Ireland sometimes. His budded, his had life in it, God gave that role of worship to the Levitical priesthood through Aaron and continued that role and fulfilled that role in Jesus Christ of being the priest who offers the sacrifice of worship and in Jesus' case, the eternal everlasting sacrifice that finished all sacrifices. And I want to suggest to you that the presence of God is probably known most powerfully among us in the Word of God, in the meeting with God, in the sacrament, and in the realization that God provides, and in the sacrifice of worship that we offer to the living God, which is His Jew and His Jew alone. And now I want to make four points about the presence of God. I imagine you talk quite a bit about the presence of God in Bangor Parish. You know, we sing lots of songs about the presence of God. And four points from this passage from 1 Samuel 6 about the presence of God. First of all, the presence of God is something which we need to revere. Revere. We need to, the word I'd written down in my script, which I've left somewhere, out, we need to handle it carefully. Right. What happened, to, sorry, what happened to the Ark of the Covenant in this story? You don't know because you have in your Bibles, right? In verse 3, they carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of the Lord 
and Ahio went before the ark. Okay. They were on a hill. The ark of the covenant had been taken captive by the Philistines. It had been with the Philistines for a period of time. The Philistines discovered that the judgment of God was upon them when the ark of God was present among them. They, they had tumors, they had all sorts of plagues, and they got to the point where everywhere the ark of the Lord was among the Philistines, there was trouble. And what did they say? They said, take it back. We don't want to take it back. And of course, the Israelites wanted to have it but they put it on a new cart on a hill. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was this wooden box. It was about 1.3 meters by 75 centimeters in the other directions. It had the, the tablets of stone in it. It was covered in gold. It had the mercy seat above it. It was, had cherubims on it, two cherubs on it. But it had something else. It had four little, uh, what do you call those things? Circly things. Rings. I get rings. Four little rings. That's it. Four little rings. Two on each side that the poles were to be put through. So it was to be carried. It wasn't to be put on a new cart. And it was to be carried in such a way that you didn't touch it because it was so sacred, so holy, so dangerous. Right? You didn't touch it. It was even covered in a cloth. You didn't see the gold because it was the presence of God was such a holy, reverential presence. When I do confirmations, we pray for the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit on each of the candidates, and the prayer ends with these words, and give them, O Lord, it, 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 very powerful words, the spirit of reverence for you. Now, you may have noticed, but you didn't because you didn't have your Bibles in front of you. You may have noticed, I'll keep saying it and then maybe it'll happen. Uh, I'll keep saying it. Uh, you may have noticed there was a bit left out of this passage. Right. There were verses left out. That wasn't because I chose to leave them out. It's because the lectionary reads certain parts of the Bible. I can't go through every single thing. But it also was created essentially by the Reformed Protestant churches in America, and there's always something to be careful about in that because they leave out the bits that are not suitable for human consumption. So the bit that's left out is the bit that you're not meant to know exists, but I'm going to tell you, right? I'm going to read it now. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of the Lord and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there before the ark of God. And David is very angry that that has happened, and you think, oh, goodness me, I don't know that that's the kind of bit about God that I really want to hear. But you know, there's something very important in it, and it's this. Never, never become used to the amazing presence of God. 
God is the God of the universe. He's not our pal. Not that he's not our friend, but he's the God of the universe. He is an absolute, absolutely holy God. Cannot bear sin. And he's to be treated in a reverential way. And one of the dangers of people in roles like mine, clergy, like Stanley, for example, though I'm sure he's not guilty of this, but uh, is that the more we handle the holy things of God, the more they become normal to us. And this is just a reminder that the presence of God is to be really carefully handled. Right? You and I are in the presence of the Holy of Holies, the God of the universe. Handle it really carefully. Don't touch where you're not meant to touch. The second thing is this. The presence of the Lord also brings great blessing. And there's a man who comes in the middle of this story who's a very great friend of mine, I like him very much, called Obed-Edom the Gittite. People don't know who Obed-Edom the Gittite is, really. In fact, some people think he was not a Jewish person at all, that he was a Gentile. I don't think so. I think he was a Jewish person. I think he was probably a Levite. And David, after this experience of Uzzah being dying before him. David is terrified of the ark. And Obed-Edom the Gittite, I'll just read you the bit about it if I get. So, David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. He was taking it up to Jerusalem. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household, and it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Uh, there's only one, uh, you are putting it up, you say, I see where you're seeing it now. You can't put this bit up because I'm not quite sure where it is, but somewhere in Chronicles, there's a story of Obed-Edom, and the only thing it tells us is that he ended up with eight children and that that was the blessing of God. Now, it didn't happen in three months, I wouldn't imagine. But here is this man who's not really seen elsewhere in the Bible other than in those two places, so far as I know, who opens the door of his house to the amazing but dangerous presence of the Lord, which he so loves and so embraces and so reveres and so respects that God's blessing is on him and on his household, and he is named as a person blessed by God forever. I want to say to you, welcome the presence of God. Welcome the presence of God into your hearts and your lives. Welcome the presence of God when you meet together for worship, Welcome the presence of God into your homes, and welcome the presence of God through your presence in the different places you're involved in the world and in the community. Something that I 
you probably have heard me say before, but I say it again because it hasn't always sunk in, right? Even to me. And it's this. When an unbeliever, I don't know whether anybody here is an unbeliever. I don't want to put you to put your hand over anything, but when an unbeliever, a seeker, somebody who doesn't yet know the Lord, comes through those doors into your church, that person will have assessed in the welcome, in the worship, in the preaching, in the friendship or otherwise, that person will have assessed this community before they go out. But what they will have assessed above everything else is whether this is a place of the presence of the living God. And I usually put it like this to people. I do it again. If an unbeliever comes into your church, into St. Comgals here, and that unbeliever comes among people who are cardboard cutouts. Let's imagine you're all cardboard. Look as though you're cardboard cutouts. Right. Only half alive. And preachers know if a church is full of cardboard cutouts because they stand at the door and they can visually see people coming to life just relieved to get out. just into the ordinariness of reality again, right? If they see a group of cardboard cutouts, why would they ever come near the place again? And if an unbeliever comes into church and sees a place that is three-dimensional, it's nice, human, it's friendly, it's warm, it's all those kind of things, it is what the world is perhaps outside, they can find all that outside, well, they might say, well, that was nice, but I can get all that at a club or in the street or work or whatever it is. But if an unbeliever comes into your church and knows that God is there, that this is life in the fourth dimension, that in like those fingers in the South Bank show, I haven't got a got the wrong finger. In the South Bank show from the Sistine Chapel, the finger of God meets the finger of Adam, and it's electric. Heaven and earth meet. God is here. This is life in the fourth dimension. If a person comes into that context, they will be amazed by it. Well, what does Paul say in Corinthians when the unbeliever comes into your presence and the secrets of his heart are disclosed? That doesn't mean that somebody says, these are all your secrets. It means he knows he knows himself. An unbeliever comes into your presence. The secret of his hearts are disclosed, and he will fall down and worship the living God who is among you. The danger of God's presence, I suppose the first one is, handle it carefully. The blessing of God's presence which can do things in our hearts and lives and communities which are beyond our wildest imagining. And the third thing is this. The presence of God moves, moves in the Ark of the Covenant. 
The presence of God was kind of fixed in the temple, and I was in Jerusalem recently, and I was at the Temple Mount, and somebody said something that I really hadn't quite calibrated before. You know, for most of the history of the Jewish faith, there was no temple. There was only a temple for less than a thousand years in the, between the two temples. There hasn't been a temple there since AD 70. It's the Dome of the Rock, the, the mosque that's there at the moment. For most of the history of the Jewish people, there's been no temple, but God's presence, God's presence is made known, and God's presence is made known in the wilderness through the Ark of the Covenant. It's made known in the crossing of the River Jordan. It's made known in all sorts of ways, but God is not limited to one way or one place of making His presence known. And one of the things that we find hard or brought up in traditional churches is to realize that God has not made any particular promise to the Church of Ireland or the Presbyterian Church or the Catholic Church that His presence will always be with that denomination or in that particular place. I was in Montreal years ago and I was going down to the Diocese of Albany, and I was walking along the street, and I saw this magnificent church. It was called St. James's United Church. That was Presbyterian Methodist and Congregationalist. And the doors were open, and I went in, and I read the history in a little pamphlet. This was a society church. Great choral tradition, right? The wood still was absolutely spotless and well-polished, and the big central pulpit too. And then as I stood looking at this place and wondering where it was at now, I saw an enormous hole in the ceiling. And as I walked out of that church, I saw a sign. It said, downstairs, rummage sale to fix the hole in the ceiling. And I thought, oh, oh. The next time I was down that street, I passed by the church, and there was yellow and black ticker tape saying, on safe, keep out. And the last time, because I track it, I discovered it had been totally restored by the Canadian government and was essentially a place of arts and culture with a wee service on a Sunday. There was a child born when the Ark of the Covenant was taken from the Israelites, and that child was the subject of one clue in the Times crossword on one occasion. And the clue went this. The, dashed, the, the, the line, the line has departed. And the answer was Ichabod. You ever heard of the word Ichabod? The glory has departed. Right. God, God's presence moves. God has promised always to be present among His people. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. The gates of hell will not prevail against His church, but there are peppered all over the place 
church communities that used to be vibrant and now have weeds growing out of the drains and the gutters and doors locked and gates chained. And the only thing they're chained about is that somebody might sue somebody for their insurance if they damage themselves in it. We need to be really careful to follow the presence of the Lord, to be prepared to move with where God is going. Because if we don't, we'll find ourselves left behind and we'll have missed out on the most wonderful and amazing journey of faith that we could have ever had in our lives. So first of all, be handle the presence carefully. Secondly, the presence is a presence that brings great blessing in every area of our lives if we welcome God's presence. And thirdly, God's presence moves. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, though it's focused in places. There are places we know. I, when I go to Saul, actually, for the St. Patrick's Day pilgrimage, I never go in any year without thinking, isn't this a thin place where you know that God has been at work over the years? There are places like that, absolutely. And the fourth thing is this. God's presence brings joyful celebration. Now, people wonder what David was at when he danced before the ark, and there are all sorts of ways of interpreting how David danced before the ark. And there was a song that went around. I can't remember the word that it used about it, but it was uh, certainly what he did was deemed inappropriate. Wasn't the thing the king should be doing. He shouldn't be wearing an ephod, though he should, because that was a priestly garment. The king was the king, and the king ought to act like a king. I mean, the queen acted impeccably with Donald Trump and his wife, didn't she? Just stood there. Didn't she? That's the way a king or a queen should act. If the queen had started dancing around the place at 92 years of age, we would not have been impressed. It wouldn't have been appropriate behavior for a royal monarch. Right. And David lets his hair down. He dances, he sings, and he shouts, and they get out the tambourines, and they get out the castanets, and they literally lift the ark up to Jerusalem with a peon. That's a good word. They haven't written that one down. A peon of praise. Yeah. And what happened about Saul's daughter, Michael? She looks out the windy, and she sees what's going on, not impressed. Not Her heart wasn't in it. And I want to say something to you. There is pseudo-spirituality, false spirituality that thinks that what is holy is just being quiet all the time, not being too engaged. Now, don't get me wrong. There are moments for absolute silence. God is in heaven. We are on earth. Let our words be few. There are those moments. But there are moments for letting the hair down, rejoicing, putting it out there, shouting God's praises, dancing and singing. I'm just back from new wine. That's why I'm into that at the moment. 
I love the last night because at the end of the last night, we let the hair down. Well, I kind of go like a wee bit like that there, you know, just a wee bit because it's not appropriate for a bishop to be too much into that. <clears throat> and you know something? Those are holy moments of the presence of God just as much as the quiet moments. And the last thing in the world we should do is even it all out. We need the quiet, reverential moments. We need the noisy reverential moments when because God has so captivated our hearts and his presence is such a wonderful privilege that we can't even find enough words to sing or enough steps to dance to celebrate that in our lives, in our churches, and in our world. So the Ark of the Covenant, dangerous blessing, moving, celebratory. Let's receive it all this morning and ask God to make his presence known. So let's just, let's stand actually, rather than bowing our heads, let's stand. So Lord, we tell you first of all that we love your presence more than anything else this side of heaven. We recognize your presence. We revere your presence. We welcome your presence. We will go with you where you lead us, where your presence goes. Don't ask us to go up without your presence, Lord. And we rejoice in your presence. It is the very joy of our hearts. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.